Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Church, this morning, I really want to talk to you about change. About change. Not the change that you have in your pocket, but the change that actually comes from encountering Jesus. That's a change. You see, if we're being honest, change is is really hard. We really don't like change, and yet we change all the time. I was thinking about change, and I realized that it doesn't come easy for us. It doesn't come easy for us. And as the saying goes, do you remember this? A leopard can't change his spots. Do you ever hear that saying? A leopard can't change his spots. So I started thinking about that question, and I started thinking, well, where did that idea come from that we can't change? Like, like who told us? And, and, and again, it comes from old statements like this, quote, it's just my nature to worry, end quote. Don't we have that nature? It's just, well, why are you such a worrier? Well, it's just my nature. Or how about this? I'll always be a pessimistic. Or, I'm just that way. I'm just that way. Or how about this one? I've always had a bad temper. In our study this morning, we learn that there are two men who cry out for change. You see, these two men, they were both blind. Hearing that Jesus is coming, they cry out for mercy. They cry out for change. They cry out so they could see. Today's lesson, I believe that our God wants to transform each and every one of us in some pretty dramatic ways. You see, what God is calling us to do, church, listen to me, is not just to come to Calvary Chapel and greet each other and sit on those beautiful blue chairs and open our Bible and we sing hallelujah. And then what, what he wants us to do, listen to me, he wants us to have a heart like his. That's what he really wants. He wants to impact Lubbock, Texas by putting his spirit and his heart in you and then sending you out to be his hands and his feet. That's what God is doing. You have his heart. But see, you and I, well, we can't transplant our own hearts any more than we can remove our own appendix. There's no New Year's resolution, I'm going to change, or willpower, or best intentions. That's never enough. Let me tell you what we do need. You ready? We need an encounter with Jesus. Now listen to me. We all had an encounter when you gave your life to the Lord. You encountered the Lord. But this needs to be something that we walk in so that our hearts continually change. An encounter with the Lord. Why? Because only then, come on church, will Jesus produce a lasting change. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You see, here's what happens. There are times throughout my life, I remember in junior high, I want to change, I want to change, I want this, I want to be this. And I would try so hard only to fail a couple of weeks or a month later. Ah! We do that all the way. I want to change. I want to quit smoking. I want to quit doing this. I want to quit doing that. And we try real hard. But the the bottom line is, is that only Jesus produces the lasting change that we need. Come on, somebody. As I was thinking about Jesus changing us, it reminded me of a somewhat humorous illustration. A young lady who just recently accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior, well, she was asked to share her heart and tell the church what happened to her. You and I, well, we call it a testimony. So they asked this young lady, will you share your testimony? She graciously accepts and begins to walk up to the pulpit. Once there, she clears her throat and says this. She says, I'm so glad I got saved. Jesus 
really turned my heart around. And she says, for example, I have an uncle that I used to hate so, so much. I even vowed that I would never go to his funeral. But now that I met Jesus, I can't wait to go to his funeral. (laughs) Changes change, right? She changed. I mean, that's what she said. The truth is, Jesus does change our hearts and our lives. People who have encountered Jesus in a very real way are seldom the same afterward. You see, Jesus changes everything. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper. You go, how so? What I find interesting, in, not in Matthew's account, but in Mark's account, the story identifies one of these beggars as Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. A lot of people will hear the story of blind Bartimaeus. But Matthew says there's two of them. But Mark says there's one. Names him Bartimaeus. But I also find it's interesting is the region they're in was known for producing an ointment useful for treating eye defects. And so it isn't surprising that two blind men were along the road begging for money and for bread. I don't know if you heard this, but there's a new eye drop for people whose eyes are really bad that you can put it in and actually correct your vision. Can you imagine? Those of us who wear glasses or contact lenses or those of us who are legally blind without, like, listen, if I lost my contact lenses, I'm not getting home. You understand that, okay? If I get home, I'm crawling unless I have a pair of glasses or something. I can't see. I want to check into that drop. That would be way good. But that's what's going on here. Bartimaeus and this other one, they're on the road. They can't see. They can't see. So this morning, we're going to look at two men who were blind. One is named Bartimaeus, and if you pay attention to the other, it's not mentioned. Why? Because the other one is us. The other one is us. How so? Because we once were blind. We once were blind to the gospel. You see, it was back in ninth grade. I've told you the story. I'm sitting at beginning choir. I'm in ninth grade at beginning choir, and these girls, these pretty girls, begin to witness to me and tell me about Jesus. Well, I was still blind to the gospel. I couldn't see. You see, for my eyes had not been opened. Oh, I could see physically. I didn't run into any doors. But they shared the truth. How do you know? How did it impact me so much? How in ninth grade was I, I could tell you exactly where we stood as they shared that I needed Jesus Christ to go to heaven. I needed to him to forgive me. I knew the gospel that he died for me. And I sat out and I walked out and I bowed up my chest. I said, God, if I'm good, I'll go to heaven. If I'm bad, I'm go to hell. You pick. And then I went to my next class. Would you call that blind? You go, amen. Yeah, exactly. Because here's why. You all can relate. Oops. You all can relate to being blind. Until the day that you cried out for Jesus to open your eyes. Now, before we go on with our study today, let me remind you very quickly what we learned last week so that you're all caught up, okay? Before we move in and press into this week's. Last week, church, we talked about the road which the Lord sets before us is not an easy road. And you remember... It requires us to give up our selfish ambition and to follow the path of service. The Lord Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, then you need to be a disciple of service. You need to serve. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you need to give all, well, this is what I want to do, and he wants us to be the path of service. And we spent about 45 minutes talking what that meant. The path of service, if you will, is training we go through in service to the Lord. It's the training. 
See, Jesus has been training and teaching his disciples how to walk that path for his glory. He's been pouring into them for three years, and soon that training is going to be over. I wonder how the Lord felt on the night he was betrayed when all of a sudden he's been pouring into his disciples. He's been loving them. He's been, and all of a sudden here come the Roman soldiers and boom, the disciples split. He's like, oh, okay, three years down the drain. But see, it was training. It was training and it was very, very important. Why? Because they were called to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And then last week, we saw a lady named Salome. And she was the mother of James and John. And we looked at her and we saw how her faith was so awesome. Her trust in the promises of the kingdom, wow! Her problem was the motive. You see, her motive wasn't right. She desired her sons to be in the place of honor in the kingdom. And we had to stop for a moment and take a good hard look at our hearts to see our motive for service. Why do we do what we do? Our motive. We had to ask some hard questions, one in particularly. And you go, what's that? Why are we serving the Lord? Why are we serving the Lord? Is it for position? Ooh, I want to be somebody. I want to be, I want to be famous. I want to be on TV, whatever it might be. Is it for fame and fortune? I don't think anybody goes into the ministry for fame or fortune. Is it power, recognition? I want to be able to walk into one of the grocery stores here and go, Oh, Pastor Ben, wow, I saw you on TV. You yes, 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 my child. You know, I mean, is, is that why we're serving the Lord? Is it for our own glory? Well, here's what we learned. Read with me Matthew 20, picking up in 22. We're just going to read it so we get an idea. And Jesus answered and said, You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And the disciples said, We're able. And so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and my left, it's not mine to give, but it's for those whom is prepared by my Father. Notice the result, verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers, right? Do you remember? They said, after school, we're going to get you. We're going to, we're going, they didn't, they were not happy. But then Jesus calls, called him to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet, he says, notice, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Your attention, please. This is the heart of the Lord. If we're going to have the heart of the Lord, then we come not to be served, but to serve. But to serve. And last week, we talked many ways on how to serve. But the one thing, men, those of you who are married in here, the one thing we do is we serve by serving our wives. We serve. I mean, there's a lot of things to serve, but think about it. We need to follow in the footsteps of the Lord. I'm not called here to be famous. I'm just called to serve. We're just called to serve. Here's the key. Rather than exercising authority, a godly leader willingly becomes a servant of others. You guys know this. It works on a practical level. If your boss is down to earth and works with you and, 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 and is a ser- you gladly serve alongside your boss. I have the greatest boss, you say. 
I have the greatest spot. Why? He's not lording it over me. He's not nitpicking me. He's not micromanaging me. He's just working alongside me and we get more done. But you get that boss who lorded over you and says, I'm the boss. You do what I say. Don't do it like that. None of us produce that, right? The Lord Jesus wants all of us in this world to have empathy. Do you know what empathy is? Empathy is a little bit different. Empathy is about caring about about your employees, about caring about people. Instead of going, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that, you go to them and you say, brother, are you okay? Is everything all right? Because you haven't hit your numbers or you haven't done this or what's going on? Are you all right? How can I walk with you through this? When your boss comes to you and scolds you on a Friday and tells you just how awful the week has been and how you haven't performed and what's going, you better shape up or you won't have a job, how motivated are you to go to work on Monday? Not very much, are you? But when your boss comes and has empathy and says, man, I'm walking with you, let's get this straight, let's get you back to where you're supposed to be, how motivated are you? And that's exactly, again, the Gentiles, they're exercising authority, a godly leader willingly becomes a servant of others. Willingly. That's where we left off last week. So now the scene changes. Okay, the scene changes, and Jesus and the multitude are going to go through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. But one encounter with Jesus changes everything. I love the way the Holy Spirit strategically places these events at the right time, at the right place. And it's just so, so beautiful. Now, this won't take long, but I want to read the other accounts, both in Mark and Luke, so we get a full uh, grasp of what's going on here. So you can either go with me or you can watch it on the screen. But Mark chapter 10, I want you to see it. And I want you to turn there if you can. Mark chapter 10. So Matthew, go to the next book over. Mark chapter 10. Let's read this account together. Picking it up in verse 46. You should be there already. This is the first account. This is Mark's account. It says, now when they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho, with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him, be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying, oh, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately his sight, he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road. That is Mark's account. Now, keep going to the right. Keep going to the right. Let's look at Luke 18. This is Luke's account of this story. Luke 18, picking it up in verse 35. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat on the road begging. And hearing the multitude passing by, He asked what it meant. So they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came, he said, and he asked him saying, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Do you guys see that? You see that on there? Okay. Now, I need to quickly note some differences. Very, very important. Okay. Because Matthew versus the other gospels, Matthew says, no, 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 no. There was two. And again, it's really, really, it's really simple. 
there's just different accounts. Mark has a different account and focuses on Bartimaeus. Maybe Bartimaeus was a little bit more outgoing. Maybe he was just more like vocal. But I find it interesting. I find it interesting. Now, Matthew speaks of two men and the miracle being done in Jericho, right? As Jesus leaves Jericho. Now, the other accounts we read that there was blind men and the miracle being done as Jesus entered Jericho. So now where you get people going, see, the Bible doesn't, no, there's contradiction. No, 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 let me explain, okay? Because we're a Bible teaching church, you guys need to know this. There were actually two men involved. One is named, okay? The other is not named, but I believe in a spiritual sense, the Lord is talking about us throughout the ages. Those of us that the scales that fall from eyes, that we were once blind, but now we see. The two men pled with Jesus as he entered Jericho, but he, they were not healed until he left Jericho. You're like, okay. But keep this in mind. This is how Jericho was set up. Jericho was set up, you had an old city Jericho and a new city Jericho. Okay? Just like if you were to go to Santa Fe today, there's old town in Santa Fe, and then, of course, there's the new, new town. So, so when Nathalie was in, she was working, when we first got married, she worked at La Quinta, and people would come in, and La Quinta was on the outer, it's not in the outer uh, anymore because the town has grown so far, but they would come in, and they'd come into La Quinta, and they'd go, where's Santa Fe? And she goes, you're in it. What they were asking is, where's Old Town? Where, where's the square? And, and so Nathalie would say, well, keep going down this road. It's about three or four miles, five miles. You'll, you'll get there. Same thing here, guys. There's not a contradicting, contradiction in the word of God. There was an old Jericho and there was a new Jericho. Jesus left the old part of the city. The, the blind men were following him, crying out to him. And as he entered the new part of Jericho, that's where the healing took place. Now, what I did is I went on the computer and I said, what does Jericho mean? Because you guys know, you know Jericho, right? Go back to Joshua. You realize that's where, you know what? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. And they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. That was Jericho. That was the original Jericho. But here's what I found. If you're taking note, it actually means place of fragrance. Place of fragrance. But it also means the city of the new moon. Ah, huh. Okay, now that doesn't mean anything to us. That's just the name, okay? The name Santa Fe means city of faith. There's not a whole lot of city, anyways. But then I started thinking about this. By way of application, the old Jericho back in Joshua was destroyed. You guys remember that? All the walls came tumbling down. And yet it was prophesied, don't build Jericho again. If you build it, you're going to build it at the cost of your firstborn and your youngest son. Well, hell of Bethel actually rebuilds the city, but it costs him. He loses his firstborn and his youngest son. But Jericho's built. Okay? Jericho's built. When you and I have a deep and real encounter with the Son of the living God, Jesus. Okay, when we have an encounter, the old is gone and we are made new. So it's like coming out of the old Jericho into the new. We call it, you've gone from death to life. That's you. you go, whoa! But it also means what? It means a place of fragrance. And so when you encounter Jesus and your life begins to change, guess what happens? The old smell of death is gone. You now smell like Jesus. Do you smell like Jesus? Do you smell like Jesus? How cool would that be as we go in our daily lives in Lubbock, Texas throughout the week and people go, you smell like Jesus. You smell like you've been with Jesus. Why? Because it's not the fragrance, but it's what comes out of us, guys. How do we smell like Jesus when we have compassion on people? 
when we try to love people back to life. When you smile and you make somebody's day. Listen, church, you don't know what people are going through. You have no clue. But God will use you. God will use you. Why am I going to Walmart? I don't want to go to Walmart at 5 o'clock. Why? And God goes, no, no, there's somebody there that I just need you to smile to because they're having a really rough time. They're having such a rough time. I want to use you. Listen, church, you won't know how God will use you in people's lives this side of heaven. But your constant fragrance of Jesus might save somebody's life. You understand that? Well, that's a, that's a heavy weight to get. No, no, no. Just be you. But the point is there are people who are just have no hope. And God will use you. And, 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 and you know? And they're praying. And they're praying, God, if you love me. Show me, God. Show me you love me. I don't know how. Show me, God. And they might be expecting this giant cloud in the sky to say, I love you. But then you come walking in and you smell because you've been with Jesus. And you smell like Jesus. And you just start sharing your heart and you love on them. And you know they're having a hard day at work. And you just, you just encourage them and say, it's okay. I'm so sorry. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm That's okay. You're fine. It's all right. I've just had a really bad week. Well, let me pray for you. Right here? Right here. It's okay. Wow. Wow. That's Jericho. That's Jericho. We smell. The smell of death is gone. And now. So the question is, do you smell like Jesus? Do you smell like Jesus? I want to smell like Jesus. I want to smell like Jesus. I can't smell like him unless I'm in his presence. You know what I'm talking about, right, guys? You ever do that? Do you ever have somebody who put on too much cologne or too much perfume? Do you ever have that? And then, and then, and then they hug you? I mean, you smelt them 10 minutes before they got here. You understand that, right? And then you hug them, and guess what you smell like? You smell like them. You smell like them. That's what I want with Jesus. Oh, what's going on? I've just, been, I've just been meditating and praying with him, on him, and just praying. And, and somebody goes, you smell like you've been hanging out with the Lord. Yeah, I have. I have. And then you can love people back to life. It's not you, but supernaturally through you. So, Jericho, Bartimaeus, us, let's take a quick look at the change of the men in the compassion of Jesus. Verse 29, back in Matthew, picking it up, it says, Now, as they went out of Jericho, you guys understand, a great multitude followed them. Now, this is important to catch. I want you to circle that. I want you to circle the word multitude, underline it, highlight it. Okay? Why? You need to remember the multitude. There is so many people following along with Jesus as he heads over to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, what you need to understand is there'd be cousins and friends, and I mean, this is a big, this is a big crowd. This is a big crowd. And because they're going to the Passover, okay, the word of God says they would be singing the Psalms. And the songs, they're from Psalm 120 to 134. These are the Psalms of Ascent. We're going to Jerusalem. And they would be singing. You need to understand the, the path from Jericho to Jerusalem was not an easy one. They had to travel in huge groups. But it was such a joyous thing. You wouldn't be like... What are we doing? Well, next week's Passover. I better start doing some exercise because it, they would just, it would just be an amazing, amazing thing. But you need to understand that it would be noisy. You ever go to a family reunion where everybody's talking at the same time? Right? It's just, and everybody's excited. And they would be talking. And kids would be running around and, and it would be great. And they'd be singing and they're rejoicing. Why? 
Well, remember, they're overly joyed because they thought, okay, once we get there, Jesus is going to take over. He's our Meshach. He's our Messiah. Woo, this is going to be good. And he was going to set up his kingdom and he was going to rule and reign. And so they come out of Jericho and they're singing, you know, um, we could be singing, I mean, just amazing songs. I mean, think about this. Everybody's talking. And they come out of Jericho into the new city and they encounter two blind men. Look at verse 30. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now, before we get into the son of David part, I want you to think of these two men. Why? First and foremost, we know they were blind. They were blind. Okay? But they were strategically placed in the place where they knew they could beg for alms. They could ask for money. Okay? And so they're sitting there and they're just going, oh, do you, do you hear that? Bartimaeus. Yeah? Do you hear that? I hear that. There's a lot of people coming. What does that mean to you? That meant, oh, oh. Because Jewish people, it was a sign of great faith in God to give. So they would give. And so, oh, I don't know how much we're going to say. I don't know, I don't know but we're going to see. And so they were, here come, here come some people. Do you hear the people? I hear the people. They're singing, this is great. They're going to Passover. Oh, man, this is good. This is good. And they're singing worship songs, right? Bless the Lord, oh, my. They're just singing great worship songs. This is going to be good. Maybe we won't have to beg for a couple of months. Maybe this is this is good. This is good. I hear them. They're getting closer. They're getting Bart, Bart, Bart. Yes, do you hear them? Yes, they're coming. Okay. And then you hear the crowd. And then they realize, wait, 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 wait. Who's in the crowd? Jesus, that's Jesus. Not Jesus. Not Yahshua. Not the Messiah. <gasps> this is even better. Jesus! And they say, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Now, they call him the son of David because that was a specific messianic title. So they knew he was the Messiah. Have mercy. Oh, oh, listen, I may be blind, but I hear there's a lot of good things that Jesus is doing. <gasps> Jesus! Jesus! Now, we know one of them was Bartimaeus. But Matthew speaks of two crying out for mercy. Can you imagine the scene? Picture the scene. It's, it's, it, this is going down. I woke up this morning and I thought, maybe if we can get enough money, I won't have to be out here in the hot sun. If we can get enough money... I won't have to beg for a couple of weeks. I hate being out here, but this is good. It's Passover and we're going to, this is good. Wait a minute. What did you say? Jesus is coming? Oh, that's even better. That's even better. So what do they do? They cry out. Now, what happens next will shock you. Look at verse 31. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more saying, have mercy on us, Lord, Son, of David. Guys, think about this. The crowd. Everybody see the crowd. These loving pilgrims on their way to celebrate Passover. What was the Passover? It was where they were going to celebrate basically what? Which their ancestors were set free from the bondage of Egypt. That's what they're celebrating. Right? They're singing Cool in the Gang song. Celebrate good time. Come on. And they're just having a great time. They're just really, and all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute. What are we celebrating? Well, you don't know. Oh, the Passover was so cool. And then God delivered the Egyptians. Boom. Let's go. And they're celebrating. But what do they do? They tell the blind men who were in bondage, not able to see, be quiet. Be quiet. Boy, did this ever hit me like a ton of bricks. And you go, how so? I thought of the crowd. 
the very crowd that was celebrating who Jesus was, the very crowd who was celebrating the Passover, being set free from bondage, was actually telling people who needed to be set free, be quiet. Jesus has no time for you. Shh. Now, a lot of times we look at this and we shake our head going, yeah, psh. But I, here, here's what I wrote. Here's, here's my application. Think about this. We must never get too caught up in our own worship that we miss the ministry of Jesus. Leave me alone. I'm going to church. People are hurting and, and need to be set free. No, 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 no. I don't have time for you. I'm on my way to serve Jesus. I'm on my way to go to... And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about it. Never get caught up. This is what they're doing. This is what they're doing. Listen, the crowd was preventing them from coming to Jesus. Now, you need to understand, this is a picture of salvation. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. The two blind men and every lost sinner is blind, according to 2 Corinthians. So the poor beggars were lost in sin and poverty-stricken apart from Christ. And the crowd was going, shh, don't come to my Jesus. No, no. Shh, you go, you go blind, be blind over there. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Shh. You guys understand, guys, the crowd, they didn't want anything to interrupt their perfect little procession. I wonder if their motives had varied. How so? Well, maybe they thought, hey, Jesus is too important to be bothered with ramble like this, like Bartimaeus. He's too busy. He's going, right? Oh, I just can't wait for him to be king. Shh. Maybe they thought he was too busy. Uh, think about this. Maybe they figured the beggars would just ask for money. Jesus, we need money. Hoping to take advantage. Well, I heard Jesus, he's a celebrity. He, he's got a lot of money. But whatever the reasons, guys, they rebuked the blind men who were crying out for help. Sadly, the crowd following Jesus is often the biggest roadblock to others crying out for him. For mercy. Ouch. May it never be with us as followers of Jesus to be a roadblock for anyone who's crying out to the Lord. Years ago, in a galaxy far, far away, when I first met Nathalie, Nathalie was not a believer. And God brought her into my store, and we became friends. But before she got saved, she got saved shortly after that, but before she got saved, here's what she would, here's her reason, the crowd. There was a lot of people, a lot of, that, that were putting on a facade of Christianity that didn't have a heart of Jesus. And my loving wife, you'll ask her, her testimony, she goes, I didn't, want that. I didn't want anything to do with that. I didn't want, that's not, it was the, oh. The crowd was actually preventing her at that moment from coming to Jesus. But I love the fact, like, like again, they cried out all the more. They weren't going to be deterred by the crowd. And just like my wife, she cried out all the more. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So, Dave, so, so look at verse 32. So Jesus stood still and called them. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Do you realize all three gospels say that? What do you want me to do? And they said, Lord. Everybody say Lord. Lord. Right here. Lord. Because now you have, now, now, okay, here you got Jesus. You can't see. Now you go, okay, what do I want? What do I want? I've got his attention. He said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want him to do? Lord, I don't want to beg for a year. Lord, I want to make sure I go to heaven. 
I find it interesting. What do you want me to do? They said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. That our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. You go, wow. I want you to see something. Underline that, underline that verse. What do you want me to do for you? Why? And here's what you need to write. I love that Jesus will always ask. Why? Why is that important? Why is that important? Because he wants us to think about our reply. What does it mean? What does it mean for Bartimaeus? What does it mean for us to have our sight? open. You ready? One word. Change. It means we're supposed to be changed. That's what it means. These guys were no longer beggars. They had to get a job. They had to make a living, but they could. It meant change, right? Hey, aren't you Bartimaeus? Yeah. Weren't you, wasn't it last week you were begging over here? Yeah. But now, Here's my resume. I need to go to work. I need to provide for my family. I need to, I could get married. I could have kids. I could, this is great. I'm going to follow the Lord. It's amazing. It required, what did he do? It produced change. And that's what an encounter does with Jesus. It produces change. But I love that God says, what do you want me to do? Now, the second thing I want you to see is Jesus has compassion. You know what that word means? Compassion, it means suffering together. It's made of two words, suffering together. Compassion means I know exactly how you, what you went through. I know the hurt in your heart, and I'm going to walk with you through this. Suffering together. Suffering together. Jesus put into practice what he had been teaching the disciples He came as a servant to two rejected blind beggars, had compassion on them, and now their eyes were opened. Think about this for just a minute. Think about the other blind men that's not mentioned. That was you and I, metaphorically, spiritually speaking. That was you and I. Guys, we today were not physically blind, but we were spiritually blind. And when the gospel was given to us, when the Lord began to remove the scales, this is when we cried out. We go, <gasps> and we had a real encounter with Jesus. How do you know? Your life was changed. It was changed. You didn't have to go, okay, change. <clears throat> okay, listen to me. You need to be nice to people. I don't want to, but okay. We didn't have to do that. The Lord came in and you're like, and we're like that young lady where we didn't want to go to, we hated to go to our uncle's funeral. Now we look forward to it. Change. There were times when some of you, you wanted to lay hands on people. You know what I'm talking about? Where now you're laying hands on people. With prayer. You wanted to lay hands on people. It's changed. But I also want to note, I want us to note, guys, when we have an encounter with Jesus, listen, really the evidence, again, is a changed heart and a changed life. But I know the compassion that the Lord has on people. And I believe this is important mainly because, because compassion is love manifested. You understand that? Compassion is love manifested. Jesus told us that the world would know that we're his disciples by how much Bible knowledge we had. No, 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 that's not what he said. That's not what he said. No, no, Jesus said the world is going to know you're my disciple by how much money you give to the church. No, 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 he didn't say that either. He didn't say that. Jesus said people are going to know you're my disciple 
by, and what he really said, guys, was by the love we have one for another. And if compassion is love manifested, then we're called to have compassion on people. How many of you know that, that people aren't perfect? But why do we treat them like they do, like they're supposed to be? Yes, we have them. As we close, as we close our study this morning, let us be reminded that there was one time that we were blind and we needed an encounter with Jesus. We once were blind. Now, listen, I heard a joke joke earlier this week and it goes like this. You ready? A man walks into a dentist's office and says, excuse me, can you help me? I think I'm a moth. The dentist replied, you don't need a dentist. You need a psychiatrist. His office is next door. Yes, yes, I know, says the man. Why did you come in here? Asked the dentist. The guy replies, because the light was on. I know, it's a really dumb joke. But I think it makes the point. Why? I think we often make the same mistake. You see, what this guy needed was a psychiatrist. Where he went was a dentist. Jesus is the great physician. Every single one of us suffers from spiritual blindness, a sin sickness, a disease of the soul, and the symptoms vary from person to person, whether it's snarling tempers, waves of worry, growing guilt or fear, maybe insecurity, maybe a broken heart, maybe from broken homes or hopelessness. The list goes on. But whatever your symptoms are, Jesus is the cure. Unfortunately, we fail to turn to him all too often. So instead, guess what they do? They reach for the latest self-help book or they turn to Dr. Phil or whatever it might be. They walk into a dentist's office instead of walking where they need to be. So what does that do? For me, I want to make sure that I'm not the crowd keeping people coming to Jesus. But I want to be the one say, no, 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 no. The light is over here. He is the light of the world. Do you guys remember when you first got saved? I mean, when the, when the scales really fell and everything in the word, you're like, oh, wow. It produced something so amazing that your life was changed. It was changed. Now, you might be here this morning. You go, Pastor Ben, listen. You were talking about some stuff, and you, I realized that you were saying about change and, and encounter with Jesus. I don't know if I've had that. And you were talking about really a changed life, and, and I don't know if I really have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know. Here's the good news. The good news is that you can today. Now, oh, Pastor, I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. Listen, you may feel like that but your one decision from coming to Jesus to changing your life. Well, no, 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 no. See, I have to change, right? I have to change. I have to change. No, 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 no. What you have to do is come to Jesus just like they did. Cry out for mercy and he'll change your life. And it's progressive sanctification, so, so you're going to grow in him. And it's a beautiful thing, but you have to take that first step. You go, what do I have to do? In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to simply raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I I want that change you're talking about. What do I have to do? And then you, by faith, a prayer with all of your heart, you believe and you receive, and then God will do a work, I promise. How do I know? Because I look at all of you and see the change. The change. Perfect? No. Change. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit moving in the midst of our study. And we pray now, Lord, that you would continue by, Lord, by inviting anyone who doesn't know you into a relationship with you today.
And with every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here that said, Pastor, you were exactly talking about me? I don't have a relationship with God. I'm not saved. I don't know if I'd go to heaven today, but I know I want one. I know that I need to be saved. I know I need to give my life to Jesus. Listen to me. God doesn't make mistakes. He followed you all the way to church this morning to give you this invitation. He loves you very, very much, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. But until you publicly come up and receive him, publicly make a stand for him, He's such a gentleman, he's not going to infiltrate your life unless you give it to him. And you have to say yes to him. So what's going on in your heart right now? It's probably beating pretty fast. You're probably, you're probably back and forth in your mind. I don't know, I don't know. Uh, people are going to think, I don't know what people are going to think. And there's an inner civil war going on. And what you need to realize is you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. What do I need to do? And you'll know because your hand will, will want to go up immediately saying yes to Jesus. So I'm going to give you just a couple of seconds. Think about it. Ask the Lord, Lord, where am I with you? Am I right with you? Has my life, has it changed? Like these two beggars' lives has changed. Has it changed? With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, Would you just lift up your hand right now and would you say, Pastor, pray for me? Nobody else is going to see you, but God will see your hand. You just need to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to I surrender my life to God right now. Would you do that? If God is speaking to you, would you just lift up your hand so I can see it? I'll just pray for you. God bless you, sister. God bless you. I see you to my right. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, I thank you for this precious little sister whose hand was raised. I pray that you would speak to her. I pray, Lord, that you're already working with her. And, Lord, today is the day where she's going to have her defining moment, where she says yes to you. If you raised your hand or didn't raise your hand, would you pray this prayer silently? Mean it with all of your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. (sighs) I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm so confused. But I know that you're speaking to me. And I would ask that you would come into my heart. Save me, Lord. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my Savior. Be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Let's give him a hand. If you, never, if you didn't raise your hand, but you're going, man, I prayed that prayer, Ben. I want to know. I'll be in the back after the song. And uh, just tell me, I want to, because we want to make sure that you're on the right path. You're on the right path. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week and uh, let's worship the Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.